This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Harbor at Home. You know, we're here just getting back to the basics. Uh, The world was changed uh, back in the early church, just around campfires, around dinner tables, where we can see the Word of God being brought forth, but then conversations had discussion. Um, Questions can be asked, and man, we can allow the depth of His Word to get into our hearts. So we're going to do that today as we're continuing in our series, New Beginnings, where God brings beauty out of brokenness. And I want to just welcome you. If you're in South Florida, part of the Harbor community, tuning in or in in the nation here somewhere in the United States, or maybe even around the world, we've been having people come and join us. And and so hopefully you have um, your family there together with you, some friends, maybe some neighbors in, in the community that you live in, because we're going to take a beautiful look into the Word of the Lord today and just asking God's grace on it as we do. I've titled my message today in this New Beginning series, The Firstborn, First Fruits, and Firewood. And we're going to take a look at like the volitional will of the heart to engage the purposes of God. That would be completely absent from any and all external religious pressure. And I I believe that this is going to do something in all of us today as we see a beautiful new beginning in our time, which I believe God is bringing forth even as I speak in this moment. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the temple being central to to the lives of those that lived in Jerusalem, those who called themselves Israelites, and just how everything really revolved around uh, that temple. So I want to kind of go back to that again today, but we're going we're gonna to go even further back in time than the, the days of Jesus to uh, a biblical character by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was the man responsible for rebuilding the walls around the temple that was built by Solomon, the son of David, because of the Babylonians coming and invading Jerusalem at the time and and tearing down uh, what was set up there in that moment. I think it was around 587 BC, BCE. And then Nehemiah gets completely captivated by God in this assignment to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And the miracle that happened was that everybody else got captivated by this assignment as well. And within 52 days, 52 days, the walls around the city were rebuilt which was an amazing, beautiful thing. And so I want to take us back into Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 32, just to start us off. And you're going to see the commitment uh, that Nehemiah and those who joined with him made to this purpose. It's, 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 it's really incredible. In verse 32, he says, We promised to obey the command to pay the annual temple tax 
of one eighth of an ounce of silver for the care of the temple of our God. And this would provide everything that was necessary to make what was happening in this temple move forward. And they were committed to this. They made a promise to this. We, we can go a little further in Nehemiah 10.34. He said, we've decided to, to cast sacred lots to discern, determine when at regular times each year the families of the priests, Levites, and the common people should bring wood to the, to the Lord's temple uh, to be burned on the altar of the Lord, which is written in the law. So here, now they're bringing wood, right, to, to, the, to the temple and all of its activities. And then in Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 35 he says we promise to bring the first part of every harvest to the Lord's temple year after year whether it be a crop from the soil or from fruit trees so what they were seeing the sustenance of what they were experiencing in their lives they were committing that to to the purposes of God really radical statement here in in chapter 10 verse 36 he says we agree to give even our oldest sons the firstborn um, and even all the firstborn of our herds and flocks as prescribed by the law will present our sons as priests who will minister uh, to the priests who minister um, in the temple of our God so there uh, how many of you want to give uh, one of your kids up especially your old oldest (laughs) to the to the purposes of God right this is where they were at I'm just I, I was reading this, I'm like, man, these people were committed to the purposes of God when, when, their, when their temple, their city, their way of life, the things that they knew about God had been, had been ransacked. And they're like, we're never going to let that happen again. We're going to build this wall. Um, chapter 10, verse 37, the latter part of it, it says that we will bring the best of our flour and other grain offerings, the best of our fruit, the best of our new wine and oil. And we promise to bring to the Levites a tenth of everything the land produces. So, so they're just committing to, to all of these purposes of God in this time. It's amazing. And in, in chapter 10, verse 39b, latter part of it, it says, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. Now, here's what I want you to, to consider as we, as we look at these promises, these commitments, these actions that were being made by these people that were 100% volitional out of the joy of their own heart to give themselves to the purposes of God. Wow, as I was reading this, I was like, Lord, what would that look like if we could see something like that happen in our day, not specifically for a temple, because we know that we, our hearts, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that, that we collectively joined as living stones are the temple, big C church temple of God's dwelling place here on the earth. What if we had this kind of commitment to seeing the Lord come and move in that kind of way like never before and was willing to give everything. Let's fast forward to the days of Jesus with his disciples. They're in Capernaum. We see this in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. And the collectors of the temple task came to Peter and asked him a question. They said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Peter replied in verse 25, yes, and then before he went into the house, but before he had a chance to speak, Jesus asked him, what do you think, Peter? He asked Peter a question. Do kings tax their own people 
or the people that they have conquered. Now, I love, I love the New Living Translation, but here the, 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 uh, the, the, tr- the interpretation is, is, is a little off, and I want to give some clarity here. Um, because when Peter answers in verse 26, he says, they tax the people they have conquered, Peter replied. Well, then Jesus said, the citizens are free. The word citizens there is the Greek word huios, which means a son. So basically what he's saying is, who do the kings tax? The, the servants of the nation or his own children, his own flesh and blood, right? And so Jesus, you know, not wanting to cause chaos in verse 27, it says we don't want to offend them or literally that means entice them to sin. So, so go down to the lake. He, he didn't want to reveal his divinity as being the son of, the little son, uh, literal son of, of God, he said, go down to the lake and throw in a line and open up the mouth of the first fish, fish you catch and you will find a large silver coin. I think it was worth four drachma, the exact amount for two people to pay the temple tax and go ahead and take it and pay it for both of us. So here's this crazy miracle in the word of the Lord. And I believe that there's something God wants to show us today as it relates to this dream of us entering into like what Nehemiah and then we're experiencing back in the rebuilding of the wall. Because kings, again, tax both their people and those that they have conquered, but they don't tax their children. They don't tax their children. And we're going to see why here in just a minute. So with the translation of sons, the meaning of this passage becomes a little more clear to us. Um, Jesus is pointing out that kings, you know, don't tax their own children because their owners are co-owners, co-inheritors in the kingdom that their father rules over. And therefore, Jesus, as the son of God, when they come and, and, and ask about him, you know, should he pay, like he actually wasn't obligated to pay because he was divinity. He was the literal son of God. But instead of stirring up controversy and bringing forth his divinity too soon, he said, go ahead, um, you know, Peter, go down and catch this fish. And the father's going to provide the need that we have to pay this temple tax, which is, which is just amazing to think about. Like even the father was involved in this moment that Jesus was kind of stuck in, if you will, to provide a way out. He gave, he gave the provision that was needed to satisfy the, the need at the moment, you know, that these guys were demanding. Because here's, here's what I want to say to you right here. The, the, the day in which Jesus was living in, the obligation of the people was just that. It was an obligation that was being imposed upon them as they were living under this shadow of death, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And so, you know, they were giving it, but they were giving it not out of joyful volition, but they were giving it out of obligation. And nor were they, you know, uh, considering themselves sons and daughters of God. I mean, that was one of the f- most foreign concepts to them. They were doing it just as citizens, but, you know, along with those that had been conquered as well, right? That, that were obligated to pay these types of, of taxes. Because, the, you know, the sons and daughters of God, as Jesus said, and I want you to catch this in, in your heart. They are free. They are free. And what he was, you know, alluding to is that a new kingdom, one that didn't exist at the moment, was being born in their very lifetime. 
that we're now recipients of today, that we're called to walk in with that same passion and fervor and commitment to it as Nehemiah and his people when they were building the wall. The Passion Translation, you know, when, when you see it there, it says, is tax collected from kings, the king's own children or from his subjects? It's not an imposed tax on the subjects. It's children who ultimately, as this new kingdom comes forth, who will ultimately share in the ownership or the inheritance of what God is birthing in this moment at the time of Christ. Now let's fast forward. Jesus has been crucified. Persecution now has begun to to come and visit the church because it was a huge moment. It was a moment unlike any other moment as this New Testament church was coming forth on the earth, one that God is wanting to revive right now. And so persecution was, was trying to stop it. It was a, it was a direct attack against, against believers in Jesus. And, and persecution specifically that comes against the kingdom of God always carries financial consequences with it or an attempt to bring financial consequences against that movement because financial consequences can try to inhibit the movement, right? In fact, the people of Jerusalem in that time who were believers in Jesus, they couldn't get jobs. They, they, they had no way to secure money to pay for their bills, for their food, to take care of their families. And so something began to happen among the believers in that day, which is really profound. It says in, 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 um, in, uh, in Acts chapter four, verse 32, it says, those who believed in Jesus, they, they entered this space of unity, much like what was happening in the days of, of Nehemiah. Uh, in, in other words, they, where, where they were of one heart and one soul. They, they were burning for one thing. And neither did anyone say that any of the things that they possessed were their own. They, they became aware that what had been placed into their care wasn't just for themselves, but for this greater purpose of the kingdom. And so they had all things in common in this, in this dire moment of what was happening in Jerusalem at the time. All right, and, and it says during that time in verse 33 that with great power, the apostles um, gave you know, witness to the resurrection of Jesus and, and great grace or the enablement of God was on everybody. In other words, the, the Lord was moving powerfully as they were in this place of unified agreement and there was collective care for all of the people. In verse 34, we see another sign of the fruit of this unity where there was not anybody among the people of God, even though there was great persecution that was coming against the children of God, that no, no one lacked in that time. For all who you know, possessed things that were extra, lands or houses, they sold them and they bought, brought the proceeds. And look what it says. And they laid these proceeds at the apostles' feet. So this thing wasn't absent of leadership or wasn't absent of structure. It wasn't absent of design. It was actually, you know, formed beautifully in the heart of the Lord and it was working properly under the care of righteous authority. And, and the apostles distributed these resources that were given to anybody that had need. And this is where we even can peer into the life of Barnabas in verse 36 where he sold some land and he brought it to the, the money that he had sold and he laid it at the apostles' feet. 
And what this was doing is it was, it was quelling the power of the persecution that was coming against this church who loved God with all of their heart. In fact, if we love God and we burn for God, listen, I, this is not a bad promise, but we will, the Bible says, face persecution. In fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life or those that will reflect the nature of Jesus in the earth will suffer persecution. But you see the response that will quell that will be a unified movement of people who are passionately in love with the Lord, meeting the needs of those around them. Now, here's the question that I want to give and look into as we kind of wrap up this teaching today. How serious is God about freedom? about us giving everything out of a volitional, joyful place of the freedom of our own decisions in our heart. He's massively, massively serious about this because that, again, is what was moving things forward with the church in that time that was quelling the persecution and giving everybody the ability to exist in their life and bring the, the, the grace of God that was on inside of them to the table, to the equation of what the Holy Spirit was doing collectively among these believers at the time, who, by the way, in, in terms of relative numbers in the earth, were very few. But if you think about it, these ones turned the known world upside down. I mean, they turned the known world upside down. I mean, 12 apostles, 3,000 believers, as it began to spread, even as persecution, you know, sometimes it moves us out from the places that we've been. But as it moves us out and we stay unified, we stay passionately loving God, we, we, we get generous with each other, we, we come under proper authority and we begin to work collectively together, the power of the gospel begins to advance. So we see this story, I want to wrap up with this, in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, where this, this man and this woman, Ananias and Sapphira, sold a possession. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But in verse 2, it says that they kept back a portion of the proceeds. And his wife was also aware of it. And they brought only a certain part of the proceeds that they said that they were going to give and laid them at the apostles' feet. And, and Peter addresses this. And, and this is a profound New Testament passage of Scripture where he says, Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit and kept back a part of the price of the land for yourself? Verse 4, he says, While it remained... Was it not your own? In other words, this was fully yours. You had, you, had, you had your own volition to do with this land whatever you want. And after it was sold, was not the money fully in your control? In other words, even if you decided to sell it, you didn't have to give any or all of the money to anything. That was your choice. Why have you conceived this thing in their heart? In other words, there was something here that was trying to come into the midst of the beautiful thing that God was doing. And then we see this almost kind of like, whoa, what just happened? Where he fell down and breathed his last, last breath. Taken to heaven, if you will, early. Because God knew the seriousness of this moment and he knew the seriousness of us having willful, volitional, passionate love from our own choice, from our own heart. Thinking back to Nehemiah, I mean, these people were all in. Why am I saying that? 
If you think about the imagery of Babylon that came and ransacked this first temple built by Solomon, I mean, what he constructed was literally one of the wonders of the world at the time. People would come from all over, far and wide, to see this beautiful thing that God used Solomon and the nation at that time to construct. Babylon comes in, which is, you know, imagery of the world system and tears this entire thing down. Later down the road, Nehemiah rises up with these band of brothers, if you will, that say, hey, the beauty of what was established there, we want to see it again. Help me to rebuild the wall of protection around the glorious thing that God is doing through his work on the earth. Think with me. God is wanting to construct something in you and me in this thing called the church, which is not made of stones, brick, or mortar, wood. It's made of human hearts that are completely sold out. And I believe it's time for some people to rise up and rebuild the walls again. What does that look like? That means that we're going to stand together collectively in a way that we could never see things happen like we could if we were doing it on our own. Working as one unison group, giving, er, hear me on this, giving everything to what God is wanting to do in this moment. You see, the choice is, is, is clear. Like we can give part, we can give none, we can give all. I believe giving all is what's gonna move us into this great and glorious future that God has for the church. Secondly, it's time to align with true apostolic ministry. Now, I, don't, I wanna try to put out some big theological language. What I mean by this is come to a place of trust with fathers and mothers in the earth that have a heart like Nehemiah who are sold out to the purpose of God who can be trusted to come and align with that authority so that we can be set into proper order to move forward in the power and glory of God. In fact, if you look in, we don't have time for this today, in how God builds his church, he builds it first and foremost on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And lastly, it's time to be sons and daughters who share in inheritance, are no longer just subjects, but we see that what we're giving ourselves to is part of our glorious future. We're not just serving something or someone, we're actually participants in this great inheritance. Let me just pray, Father, would you come and bring an awakening, God, like never before to the body of Christ. I'm asking for Nehemiahs. I'm asking for ones that carry that same spirit and those who joined with him to rise up in this moment. I'm asking, Lord, that we would be able to see that we are not just subjects, our conquered ones, if you will, that serve a king that we, we don't know, but actually he's one who uh, our bloodline is tied to, that we are literal sons and daughters and we're not obligated to pay some temple tax or bring firewood or offer our firstborn, but we're able to willingly give ourselves fully to this inheritance or portion that is ours. 
And Lord, would you let the earth see the glory of your temple again, fashioned in us and in our hearts. And let it be the wonder of the world in this time. And let people come far and wide to see what you're doing, even in our midst here. Listen, as we wrap this up, here's my questions for you. And these are just honest questions to ponder in your heart. Do you possess the kind of devotion that those in Nehemiah's day had? Why or why not? I think that that's just a healthy question. God, do I have this kind of passion? If not, why? Second question, do you see yourself as a son or daughter? Or do you see yourself as a subject to God? That's a very big identity question. And then if so, based on either way of this answer, how does your answer affect your mindset concerning the church and your role in it in this time? And then lastly, are you not only willing, but prepared to walk through persecution and prepared to support others in this time? Are you at the place that the early church was in terms of their willingness to share with those who had need? I believe it's a time to make sacrificial commitments. I believe it's a time to to say, God, like we're gonna give our hearts fully to you and we're never gonna back down in what you're doing. Listen, engage with those around you, with your friends, your family, your neighbors. Have conversation about this and let's see what Holy Spirit is gonna do in our hearts today. Thank you for joining us at Harbor at Home. Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.